0: Today's sponsor of Happy Say Confused is Loot Crate. For less than $20 a month, Loot Crate gives the geek in you a special treat each and every month. Loot Crate is a subscription box service with over $40 worth of geek, gamer, and pop culture gear, collectibles, apparel, comics, and more delivered to your mailbox each and every month. This month's theme is time. And quite appropriately, of course, they're celebrating the 30th anniversary of Back to the Future in the month and year, of course, when Marty McFly travels to... In Back to the Future Part Two, but you knew that, like I know that. And they also are celebrating the timeless appeal of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and of course the timey-wimey charm of Doctor Who. So you guys have until the nineteenth at nine p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, that's it; it's over. So go to Lootcrate.com/happy and enter the code Happy to save three dollars for new subscriptions today. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I'm Josh Horowitz, and welcome to my weekly podcast where I talk to extremely talented, charming, and thrilling people like this week's guest, Guillermo del Toro. Really excited about this one. He is one of our greatest living filmmakers. I would say he's one of our best dead filmmakers, too, if you were like just looking at all filmmakers, living and dead. What do you guys think, Joel, Sammy? I don't think he's dead. No, I know yeah. he's not dead. I'm just saying, my, I guess my point is I don't want to qualify it. I literally
1: can't believe you think he's dead. You know, come
0: closer to the mic. Joel's
1: sick, and we're sharing a mic, so I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, you're,
0: you're not in a good situation. Uh, welcome back to the the intro to the podcast, uh, Sammy and Joel. You were such a hit last week that by popular demand, i.e. the Heller family, <laughs> you are back this week.
1: That <laughs> out to Neil Heller?
0: Oh, God. <laughs> um... Yeah, we had a good time last week talking about Mr. Uh, ben Schwartz yeah. uh, starring in The Walk. People are loving The Walk, yeah. and um, and now we're here to talk about Guillermo and a lot of a lot of exciting things going on. First, Guillermo, we should mention is promoting uh, a fantastic new film. I'm in love with this movie called Crimson Peak. It stars all of uh, all of our favorite people, yeah, right? Your
1: boyfriend.
0: Don't perpetuate this. <laughs> your favorite you're,
1: person in the world. You're playing
0: into the fan base out there that likes no. to imagine that that Tom and I have some kind of strange.
1: Love Affair?
0: That's not the term. I'm an appreciator of his work. He's an appreciator of mine. That's simply all it is. <laughs>
1: uh-huh.
0: um, Tom Hiddleston, Jessica Chastain, Mia Vashakowska, Charlie Hunnam. Uh, it is a, a truly uh, great film. I can't wait to see the film again. What are you mouthing, Sam? I love
1: Charlie Hunnam. Oh, God. And Mia Wasikowska.
0: Yeah. I'd say Vashakowska.
1: Vashakowski. Oh, uh,
0: you mispronounced it there. But, no, but, that's but,
1: her <laughs> true fan. That's what her fans are called. Oh,
0: the Wasikowskis. The
1: Vashakowskas. <laughs> That our our
0: team name is. Uh, The movie comes out October 16th. Um, I'm definitely going to see it again and again because it's um, a really great piece of work. I think it's one of my favorite of Guillermo's. He says it's one of his, uh, you'll hear in the podcast, he says it's one of his top three of his own work. Just being self-analytical, he says, uh, I think Pan's Labyrinth and Devil's Backbone and this one. So that should tell you all you need to know as if um, that film needs to be sold to you. And if it does, I don't trust your opinion anyway. Joel? I, I agree with that, those numbers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> zero numbers worth um,
0: no one, two, and three. What else is worth talking about this week? Well, let's see as Wait, we, but uh, yeah I go no yeah, I know
2: <laughs> I know you have a relationship with Guillermo, yes. Did he invite you back to the man cave? Oh, that's an excellent question. So here's
0: the here's the thing. Okay, so this is a running thing. And I hope, Guillermo, I hope you're listening to this. I know you're not, but I hope you're listening to this. I have interviewed Guillermo de Toro ever since I came to MTV, which is near nine years ago now. And he is one of the nicest human beings on the planet. He, like, gives you these giant hugs, and he's just, like, a just a huge, great spirit. And he, I've been probably interviewed him, like, Thirty times, and I would say twenty-seven of those times includes a um, an invitation to his so-called man cave, as he as he puts it. So he has, um, I think he has a home. I know he has a home. He lives somewhere, but he yeah. also has like in our hearts. Yeah. <laughs> but he also has something he calls the man cave, which, from all accounts, is amazing, filled with memorabilia, stuff from his own films, stuff from stuff that he admires, and. I truly think it's a psychological torture that he's doing to me because every time I see him, he says, when are you coming to the man cave, Josh? And I always say, anytime, to which a normal human being would say, okay, here's my number, come by or something. Well, maybe maybe no. you should say, how do I get there?
1: No, it's that's part of it. Josh has to figure out. How to get there. And it's like... Well, I haven't. It's taken nine years.
0: I still haven't. It's
1: like if you go back and watch all 30 of the interviews, there's a clue in (laughs) each one as to how to get to the man cave. And it's like all there. And you're just too dumb to be
0: <laughs> <laughs> it could very well be because at this point now it's like it's it's just like a drinking game to see how soon into the conversation he invites me to the man Joel cave. and I have
1: been there no yeah, don't three, Yeah, th- that's not funny three,
0: he shows his devil's
2: backbone Watch Pan's Labyrinth he actually has the guy Pacific with the no rim. eyes in his man cage.
1: it was it, we, Joel I think- that was the hardest we ever laughed. Was the night we hung out with GDT in yeah. the man cave. Yeah. And I, like, oh my god, do you remember what he said about Josh? It's
2: still, okay, okay. <laughs> it's oh, enough. But That's I do. Funny. I do have a follow up question. Yeah, who's a better hugger, GDT or Shalene Woodley? Ooh.
0: Oh, those are two two master Aww. huggers that's a really good question well GT's a bigger dude so he's there's more he makes you feel small yeah so it's like if you want to be the little <laughs> spoon yeah if you want to feel safe in yeah. the little spoon like that that's your that's your hug if you want you know more of a, a feminine sort of kind of sweet hug go Shailene. they're both great
2: okay you
1: have to pick. I, I didn't mean to ask such a controversial question.
2: I apologize.
0: Um, also worth mentioning, we're very proud of the latest After Hours we put up just as we taped this um, just the other day. Um, with, it's called Camp Mockingjay with Jennifer Lawrence and Josh Hutcherson and Liam Hemsworth. If you haven't checked it out, uh, please do. It's on the MTV News YouTube page. Um, Got a lot of pickup. We're very thrilled with it. You get to see uh, Jennifer Lawrence stuff ted marshmallows in her mouth, and that's something worth everyone's time, I would say. I'm, that's speak for yourself. Uh, can I just I mean. say
1: a quick follow up? Yeah, please. When I was in um, college, I was dared to do an entire bag of jumbo marshmallows and I fit. 16.
0: What does that mean? Do an entire bag. Like, that's like
1: fit, put it, fit it in my mouth. And, <laughs> and I fit 16. You were
0: the saddest sorority and ever. I, <laughs> <what>? <laughs> it was like,
1: it was like on a Friday night. We were like, <gasps> let's go crazy guy. And I just want to say that like she did 10 and that's great. I don't, that's great. But I feel like everyone's acting like that's, Right. Amazing, and it's not that... But you guys should watch it anyway. To be, to be
0: fair, uh, being in such close proximity to seeing what was happening, it wasn't like there was... It didn't seem like there was more room. Like, she was truly gagging at the end. Yeah, but
1: she had, like, a... There's a form to do it. Like, you can, like, make the marshmallows smaller and right. then kind of stuff them into, oh, like, right. the like dipping, crevice. right,
2: like dipping the hot dog in the water, you're saying. Yeah, you're I'm so like, like
1: the kobe of marshmallows. <laughs> I, I,
0: I believe you. You could probably do, I would say, 60 to 18.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Joel actually has 16 in his mouth right now during Joel's this introduction. <laughs> That's my stasis. Yeah, <laughs> it's, you never know when you're hungry. No you pull it, it out. It's a snack.
1: I like, feel Joel's illness like wafting towards me. Is it a
0: cold? Right is, it, is it? Is I Do you sound a little congested?
2: I'm okay. okay.
1: It started in his throat. Ugh. I don't move to congestion. So now now it's now in his It's Rotting feet. in my mouth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> green
0: it's disgusting uh what else is worth mentioning oh we just watched um before we start taping this a cut of uh new after hours that's going up in a couple days as you hear this um it's uh it's something with hugh jackman and it's really funny and i think everyone's gonna enjoy it it's tied into his new film pan uh, which comes out uh this friday and uh look out for that it's a good one too also, there's some other good stuff. Tom Hiddleston did a fun bit with us. That's going to be yeah, up soon. Tom Hiddleston again. Oh, stop it.
1: <laughs> Proof is in the pudding.
0: Um, what else to tell you guys? That's about it. I don't know. What else? What are you guys excited about? What's, what's the next big movie you're excited about? We're in fall movie season. Um.
1: um you got Nothing. I don't know. There, I feel like there's a new Hunger Games movie coming yeah. out. You, have you heard of it? Mockingjay
0: Part 2, Lizard People. That's, that's the subtitle? <laughs> yeah. The Lizard hey, have People? you seen uh, Mockingjay Part 2? No, no, I'm not that cool yet. They haven't screened it yet? They haven't screened it yet. Um, Soon, hopefully.
1: I feel like he's lying.
0: No, no, I would tell you. I just want to be able to tell you anything about it. I'm excited. I'm about to see Steve Jobs this weekend as we oh, take this. Oh,
1: yeah, I saw a preview for that last night. I went to the movies. What did you see? Sicario.
0: Oh, good, right?
1: It was, like, very good.
0: Super tense.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I wanted to see the intern. (laughs) Very similar.
0: It's a good double feature.
1: Pouting about it the whole time, having to go see Sicario. Right. And then I was like, felt very cultured after.
0: It's 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 a it's a good good movie.
1: I always love seeing Benicio del Toro in those like like rom com (laughs) sweet you know to get to see him be like the sweet. Sweetheart. Yeah. He's a silly guy.
0: He is always like 10 degrees of, of scary. Like he's, even for Benicio, this is a scary role. I feel yeah. like he's intense. It's
1: like says four words the but, whole time. But
0: the four words are horrifying. Yeah, they make
1: you
0: pee in your pants. Uh, so go see lot <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff out there. This is a good there time a good time to be a big movie fan. So um, as I said, Crimson Peak coming at you October 16th. Check it out. And in the meanwhile, enjoy this conversation with Guillermo del Toro in which I am not invited to the man cave. He didn't do it this time, so I guess it's over between us.
1: You couldn't figure it out. You're really
0: missing out. It's awesome. It's
1: literally the fucking
0: best. All right, enjoy the conversation. The <laughs> profanity was not needed, Sam.
1: <laughs> so I just got very excited. You're not welcome back. I gotta go.
0: Uh, Mr. Del Toro Guillermo, buddy, Senor. It's always good to see you, man. Same here, man. But truly, um, I was telling you before, I'm a. Uh, Borderline obsessed with this one. I love it, I truly do.
3: I am obsessed with it, and I love it too. It's one of my three favorites I've done.
0: Yeah, so that's, uh, which, which are the three? Devil's Backbone? Devil's
3: Backbone, Pants depending on the week they can switch, <laughs> and then Crimson Peak right now.
0: See, I was gonna say, like when you finish a film, and this one you had a while to kind of like tinker and get it right, right? <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. And
3: tinker I did. Did you really? Horribly, and to the point of, I honestly, uh, my post supervisor was to tip him away. It's like, let it go, Guillermo. We, we did 12, <laughs> 12 musical sessions on the score, 12 musical sessions. We redesigned the sound three times. I mixed it three times. I color corrected it about three times more than any other movie. Like Pants was, next to this, Pants was the next one. Yeah. And I color corrected the cinematography on this movie three times more. Uh, I re it, cut it, moved it, tried it, went crazy on the previews, tried things that were much longer, uh, until I got it to where I like it, you know?
0: Do, do you understand the instinct of, of, you know, the Ridley Scott and the George is that tinker even beyond release? Are you, well, at yeah. this point, are you ready to let it go, or do you still, when you see it, do you still see well, anything? I,
3: I, I saw it the other day, and there's one scene I would cut out, so, no. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, it's, it's,
0: I, I'm happy to hear that you're, you're pleased with it, as you should be, because I, I'm curious, like when a filmmaker completes the work that they've labored on for a while, do they see the flaws, do they see, the, are, they proud, like, are they psyched about it? You seem actually psyched about it and not sick of it, which is a good sign, Yeah, inside, i think.
3: you know, there, is, <clears throat> there was a moment uh, where I really was afraid for my sanity. Why? What no, was cause, happening? Because I, I, I kept coming back and saying, I'm gonna need to open. We were printing the final, the final reels, you know, and I would say to the post supervisor, have you printed reel five? No. Okay, we're going to open it again and I'm going to take this line of dialogue out. Right. Really? I go, yeah. And, and, and to the point of uh, obsession, you know.
0: It's funny. I mean, you, you, you begin the film, I believe literally the first line of dialogue is what goes surreal, right? Yes. And it, I feel like it's kind of... Um you know, without ruining stuff for the audience, it's, it's, it's disingenuous. It, to me, I, I don't think of it as a ghost story. I feel like it it, isn't. it's It's a story that has some ghosts involved. No, it's exactly <laughs> what
3: she says to the publisher. It's not a ghost story. It's a, ghost, a story with a ghost in it. Yeah. And, and look, Gothic romance in general is very important to understand. Gothic romance is not a horror film. Is, is atmospherically like a dark fairy tale with supernatural atmosphere and elements and scares but it doesn't function as a horror film and at the same time gothic romance is not pure romance yeah it, it, gothic romance was born out of the will to marry love and death yeah and, and and a nostalgic sense of loss so it's a hugely romantic movie but with a lot of darkness
0: well that's what I was going to say is like you describe yourself and I think it's apt like you're not a cynical filmmaker no, you're never. very much a romantic yeah. that happens to just also love darkness, and there's some cr- yeah. horrific imagery in all your films, but it, yeah. it comes from a, a romantic place, which is an interesting juxtaposition.
3: Yeah. I get high on my own supply. <laughs> you know, I truly, truly use my product, and I, and I, and I feel that uh, even, even in something, when you approach an idea as insane as Pacific Rim, yeah. Giant Robots, Ryan Monsters, I do it straight. I believe in giant robots, I believe in, I'm not being ironic or or postmodern. Same with gothic romance, I think uh, the movie has this Heightened tone of melodrama, right? And I went went for broke for it, you know. Plus, you threw in Tom Hiddleston's rear end. Yeah, well, he was very, very eager to throw the rear end.
0: <laughs> he suggested one day, "How about
3: <laughs> I just drop track today?" i be today? naked for the breakfast scene, no, Tom. <laughs> we gotta wait for the love scene. Can I be naked in the waltz? No, Tom. Wait for what the if love we have scene. We the
0: subplot, the subtext that I'm, I'm a nudist throughout the entire film. I that think, doesn't I,
3: work. I think he was toning those buds. Right. I mean, <laughs>
0: he is a great romantic hero for this kind of a thing he fits this to
3: a T he does and and, uh, look I can tell you two or three ways to make Crimson Peak eminently more of a commercial ride that I don't take you know like you give the ghosts a moral or religious weight they are evil they're demonic they're whatever I I refuse to do that the ghosts are used in a really interesting way that relates to Devil's Backbone actually if people watch them and And the other thing is, instead of making the villains so hateful at the end that you want them to die, you create an empathy. You know, little by little, and the same was in Devil's Bag when you give them their most humane moments as the movie advances, and it makes for a more moral gray area, but I'm I'm really happy with that.
0: Are are you a believer yourself in supernatural and ghosts?
3: I have. I mean, I have experienced that, and I believe, because, and everybody in my family, most people have experienced that, you know? I don't know if it's it's in the water, but... (laughs) In Mexico, it's pretty more, more <laughs> usual to encounter the, the strange and the supernatural.
0: What's the one that sticks out? Is there one incident that you think of?
3: Well, the one, the one that sticks out was when we were scouting The Hobbit in New Zealand. I, I always got when I stay in hotels, I look for the haunted room. And in Waitomo, and you can do it yourself if you go to, to Wellington in New Zealand. In Waitomo, there is a hotel, the Waitomo Hotel, and there is a room, I think it's 12C, mm. uh, where is famously a haunted room. And, and it was closed, the hotel was closed for the season. It was eight of us, and the manager opened the hotel really angry that we were making her open the hotel, gave us the keys and said go. And I said, can I get the haunted room? And she said, there you go. I go, I'm watching The Wire, I'm watching <laughs> Omar and Stringer Bell like doing a parlay, you know? Sure. Nothing haunting about it in my Mac, and all of a sudden, And it's in the movie, in Crimson Peak. I hear a horrible murder in the bathroom. Horrible. A woman. Like screams? Just like. A woman screaming (laughs) like you have never heard those screams, huge pain. And then I get up, I look, I trace it to a vent in the wall. I listen and it's a vent that goes to the cellar of the building. I get really jittery, but I sit down, ready to admit Stringer Bell into my life again. (laughs) And I hear a guy sobbing loudly with regret. And then I put the earphones and I watched the whole season. This
0: is the only time the wire is like a respite. Is like it's yes, like this yes. is the <laughs> nice place to go.
3: <laughs> Whoever got killed, I oh. didn't care.
0: It's a romantic comedy no, now because,
3: because the room had a, the room had a huge window, a balcony, and I swore I was saying. I didn't wanna go out into the corridors. I said, I don't know where the other seven people are. <laughs> and I'm not gonna be running like Danny in the tricycle <laughs> looking for who is there. And I, I swore that if I lifted my eyes from the computer to the yeah. balcony, there was gonna be somebody oh, knocking God. slowly in the window. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not
0: gonna do that. And the next day you left the Hobbit Project. This was <laughs> an <Norman>. omen. <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: the next, I didn't sleep and the next day we, we continued scouting up north. <laughs>
0: You mentioned uh, sounds, and uh, I mean, like the sound design in this film is impeccable too. I kept yeah. thinking of like the, all those strange noises in a house that creep yeah. you out, and everybody has this growing up or to this day. What, what are the banal, ordinary sounds that get under your skin? Are there any? Are there like sounds that kind of creep you out just for
3: well, There's, uh, uh, believe it or not, uh, one of the ghosts. Uh, I, what we did is we grabbed the cooing of a baby, and which is very creepy to put it on top of a skeleton figure, right? For example, the buzzing of a fly freaks me out for some reason, <laughs> in the movie. And then there is uh, a low frequency that, is, uh, that affects us as mammals. I think it's a frequency that we used to sense as earthquakes or volcanoes, so it's ingrained in our DNA to react with fear to that low frequency, so yeah. that freaks me out too.
0: So, since we have some time, I want to go, go back a little bit and, and jump around to the career. We've talked many times over the years, but this is kind of like, this is this is your life, Guillermo del Toro. I want to go back to the beginning. Okay, so like, who was the biggest influence on your life, like growing up, in terms of like pop culture? Who did you learn your ta- who who did you inherit some tastes from or some proclivities towards? Well, look,
3: I, I studied very carefully Hitchcock. I, you cannot see it in my work, but I studied Hitchcock a lot. I I liked that he was Catholic and repressed and fat, but also I loved that he really could verbalize what he was doing and it didn't get in the way of the work of art, I loved that. I liked liked that he seemed to be a reflexive artist that could articulate what he was doing. Huge influence, George Miller, for example, yeah. strangely enough. I mean, I still emotionally, my favorite movie of all times is either Frankenstein or The Road Warrior. And if the world was burning, I would probably grab The Road Warrior. <laughs> you know, it,
0: it, it, As a how-to manual to survive the apocalypse? Well, or just... I
3: remember the same weekend, I saw The Road Warrior and Blade Runner, and I came out of both instances transformed. Yeah. And, and, and I was in Vegas. And in the roller, I came out and I laid next to the pavement to see the grain of the pavement. I mean, I think that movie transformed a lot of people of my generation. Yeah. Same with Blade Runner, man. And-
0: when, when I think I, I saw you last, we actually, I think we mentioned Fury Road. I think we were both obsessed yes. with what George was able to do on that one. At that age. That's what, well, that's what I was going to say. It's like, you know, in recent years, you've seen people like Scorsese and yeah. you've seen George Miller. Oh, Wolf of Wall Street. Who are, or, or, you know, they're directing like they're 25-year-olds that yes. have never directed yes. before. Yes. Is that, I mean, is that something that, that you worry about? Like, how do you, how do you like steer yourself towards that as opposed I, to running out of ideas? I, I and, have the
3: great advantage that I was directing like I was 70 when I was 20. <laughs> <laughs> You're going reverse. You're Benjamin Buttoning. <laughs> <You're> Benjamin Buttoning, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, th- I think that is beautiful because there, are, uh, when you have people that are in love with the craft and you sense that these are people, George Miller is a fully undomesticated animal. It's a tiger that has not known a cage. Right. You know, and I love Mad Max was the stories about schedule and units and yeah. And he just went for it.
0: No, it felt like, like Warner Brothers just gave him like $150 million, sent yeah, him to yeah. Namibia, and he yeah. just Brought back this amazing piece of art.
3: Amazing piece of art. I mean, it's it's almost Max De Soleil, you know, like balletic and acrobatic and, you know. Totally. Yeah.
0: So uh, when you're growing up, my math also, like you mentioned Blade Runner and Road Warrior. Star Wars came out probably when you were like 12 or 13 or something. Does that naturally blow the brain off of uh, Guillermo del Toro? Well, what
3: happened is I came out of, uh, I went to the first showing, I think it was 10 a.m., and I went around the block, and I went to the second showing, and I went around the block, and I went, I went to every showing that day, consecutive, and because it was when nobody still, it was not people were not saying you gotta see it. Right. The world was much slower before the summer movies. Right. And I watched it all day long, and I, and I was dying to get a toy. It was like <laughs> surgically implanted in me to want toys. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's because George. George did, for the first time in an efficient way, a future that felt used. Like even Kubrick with 2001, which is impeccable and perfect. Yeah, it's beautiful movie, but everything is is new. Yeah, oil drips are not there, and I think George broke that mold. Followed almost immediately by Alien, Ridley Scott, who who made it truckers in space, you know, with oil drips and. Bad repair jobs and steam coming out. I mean, I think that made uh, science fiction real, yeah. wearing it down. Before that, it was people in tutus. Uh, you know, speaking in strange tongues with shiny apparatus and lights. This is the moment It was lived in. it was was lived
0: in. I mean, uh, you know, we talked how like you've been offered virtually every kind of comic book franchise at various points over the career. Is is Star Wars a universe that like is too sacred in a way that you would want to play with? Have you talked to them at all?
3: I I really, I I feel strangely more and more inclined uh, lately uh, to go and do more strange stuff. Mm -hmm. Like do stuff that is a little more key a little more quirky. I don't know, when when I spoke to them, I spoke with John Knoll about it and I said, if I ever do one, I would love to do Java the huts. Uh, Scarface, right. you know? <laughs> his ascension in the crime family. Totally, know? but it's not is not a plan. It's not. I'm not announcing. <laughs> Don't pick it up. A, but it
0: does a, feel like, yeah, like I wouldn't pick you necessarily to do like episode nine, but yeah, I feel like you could rather I love give monsters. you. Yeah, you should give your flavor to some side bizarre story. I, I
3: just love monsters. Man. Yeah, and Java is uh, a basically my same shirt size. <laughs> and Second, I love it, man.
0: Um, jumping around a bit. I, I refreshed. I watched Kronos last week for the first mm-hmm. time in a long while. It still holds up. It's an amazing piece of work. When when that came and you got a lot of accolades off of that, I believe you were celebrated in Cannes for it. Yes. Was that we a, won the, the Critics Week, yeah. Was that a relief because it was like you've been building towards this <laughs> and what happens if it comes out <laughs> and no one cares?
3: <laughs> I tell you, I went to Kronos, I went to Kronos, I, I was 27, 28 and or promotional budget for Canvas. Ten posters and a roll of scotch tape. <laughs> and I said to, to my wife, You think ten posters would be enough? She says, I think more than enough. <laughs> we come out of the plane. Ever the optimist. We were come out of the plane and Arnold Schwarzenegger in the last section here is floating over the bay with a lot <laughs> of shotgun. Giant billboards. I go, I go restaurant to restaurant saying, Can I glue my poster in your window? <laughs> yes or no. And I glue the posters and then I say, How many movies in Critics Week, and they were like a hundred, and, and all of them were nominated for the prize. Yeah, and I said, All right, let's enjoy the song, and then we win. I mean, it's a it's a it's, it's it, it changed my life, you know. Two times I felt that moved. the other time was when we finished Chronos with a. We asked for a loan, personally, of a quarter of a million dollars on a 20-something-year-old. And my house was a, a guarantee, blah, blah, blah. And when we won a contest where the first prize was like a hundred and something, I stood there with the giant check, like Miss Universe, sure. <laughs> crying and saying, thank you, thank you. And those are, I mean, these are, the beginnings, and the beginnings are very delicate. Yeah. I think it never stops being delicate, but the first and second movie are the hardest. Yeah, If the first one's good, then everybody says, let's see what he does on the second one. Merciful for me, I did Mimic. So that you did, went through it. Between I, those, two had like, of
0: the spectrum. That's just
3: like, there you go, guys. So, but, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, the second one is difficult.
0: And clearly, and it was for you. I mean, there was a mm-hmm. lot going on. I mean, in your personal life, too. That was around yeah, the time yeah. when your dad was... My dad was
3: taken for 72 days. An insane yeah, story.
0: Yeah, so when did you know that that project was going to hell? That mimic? Was, yeah.
3: Oh. You know, I got, I got the sense of it uh, one day when, when I got into a conference call. Uh, no, we were in a conference table, and uh, Michael Phillips, one of the producers, for the longest time, they were bark beetles that, that fed on the, on the trees of Central Park, and mm-hmm. they propagated a disease through the air, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, Michael Phillips says, why don't we make them cockroaches? And I just felt, this is the end. That's it. And then everybody said, that's a great idea, New York. I said, listen, I said this, I really did. I said, from now on, no matter what we do, we're gonna be the giant roach movie. Oh, no, 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 are you wrong, this is bad. And what did we, what were we? (laughs) The giant roach movie. Would you ever work with the white students again? Or is that too much? You know, we have a friendship. I mean, we get along, we see each other is, you know, I never say never, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I part of me loves Bob, and I love Harvey. Yeah. I really get along with Harvey. D-
0: since then, do you feel like you've, it seems to me, looking at what you've produced since then, you really haven't made any compromises. Like, do you, no. f- do you ever feel like you have had to make a compromise artistically
3: on any of your projects? Never again, never again. Every movie, if you like it or hate it's my fault. Yeah. You know, I think that from then on, I've been free.
0: Hey, guys, time to take a break from Happy Say I to tell you about our sponsor today, Loot Crate. Would you classify yourself as a geek, gamer, or pop culture nerd? I know I would. All three. Check, check, and check. Well, then, Loot Crate is the subscription box for you. Loot Crate is a subscription box service with over $40 worth of geek, gamer, and pop culture gear, collectibles, apparel, comics, and more delivered to your mailbox every single month. Make sure to head to lootcrate.com happy and enter the code happy to to save $3 on any new subscription. Every month, guys, is a different theme. All are inspired by classic movies and video games, and they pull from all the big pop culture franchises. Previous crates have included items from Star Wars and Marvel and Walking Dead, Legend of Zelda, and all the other stuff that you love. This month's theme is time, and quite appropriately, they are celebrating the 30th anniversary of Back to the Future. In the month and year, Marty McFly travels to and Back to the Future 2 of course but you knew that. Uh, the timeless appeal also of um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is celebrated and the timey-wimey charm of Dr. Who. So basically, if you haven't gotten it already, Loot Crate is like a friend who knows what you love and surprises you with an awesome present each and every month. And did I mention that they ship to over 13 different countries too? You have until the 19th at 9pm Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate, and then the cutoff happens and that's it. It's over. So go to lootcrate.com and enter the code HAPPY to save $3 on your new subscription today. Did, uh, did you I mean you reference and I don't want to go into ex- certainly exploit what was a personal you know hardship for your entire mm-hmm. family but mm-hmm. your, the incident with your dad is that something that colors though your work you think in any way does it I mean you've never you've decided never to kind of like do a story exactly, about no. it in any way but do you feel like it informs any of your work in any way
3: I don't know how I mean it probably does I mean look the fact is I can explain my movies to a certain degree but that's my reading the movies have or must have another reading yeah. that somebody else needs to do if they're interested. I'm not, you know, I, I, when people say, oh, you know, you classify them this way and maybe it's a simplistic way or not, but that's how I articulate them. Yeah. They must have a second reading. I mean, there is a, an extreme preoccupation with death, of course, but I, I'm not sure it permeated. It made me a better person, that's for sure.
0: How so? What? Just in appreciating? Well, it,
3: it, it's weird because uh, until my dad was kidnapped, I had his shadow over me in a big way. Like I was his son. He was a very famous man. Yeah. He was a big man. And, and then when he came out, I, I was a man and he was a man. Just another guy, yeah. and, and I loved him, but he was not this uh, childhood giant. Sure, It was a guy that, that I loved, you know. So it was very different.
0: What, what about having kids? Does that change? I mean, certainly your <laughs> everything. You're, well, it certainly doesn't feel like your films have softened in any way.
3: No, but, but I actually, I actually, uh, I actually became incredibly sensitive to to the uh, female protagonists, to to actors, to actresses, to what they do in my films. If I didn't have my kids, I wouldn't have been able to do *Pans Labyrinth*. I wouldn't have been able to do uh, *Crimson Peak*, which is incredibly female centric. Sure. You know? And and I'm very aware of the of the power of uh, 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 of my my wife, my daughters is just their power is so strong. And I I always I, I always wonder how can any artist represent women in any other way but strong, because everybody around me, my mother, uh, everybody, all the women I know are, are strong and powerful and full of a, a core that we lack. Yeah,
0: yeah. you've often, got, you've you got two great performances in this one, Mia and, and Je- Jessica. I know it's a great acting stretch for her because in, in real life she's always smiling, and in this film I don't think she smiles once.
3: <laughs> yeah, and, and look, I, I made it very clear to both of them, you're gonna represent two sides of love. Mm-hmm and two sides of love not not towards a man just two sides of an understanding love and 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 they need to be fully convinced of that each of them is right sure like each of them needed to be the protagonist in, their, in her own mind, you know?
0: We talk about not making compromises because uh, I think of Hellboy, where you really stood fast with your, your soulmate, yeah. Mr. Ron Perlman. Another eight years. <laughs> and and yeah. he and he was someone that was not necessarily the studio's pick, to say the least.
3: When I used to say, I used to say Ron Perlman, they said the owner of Reblon, <laughs> <laughs> not the actor, the guy. Well, okay, that one were... barking in the, in the yeah, thing too. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be yeah. perfect. Yeah. No, it
0: was, it was <laughs> but they weren't like weird. Vin Diesel, right? Did they ever, did you ever Cage, Vin like, Diesel, uh, The Rock, you know. Did they make a compelling argument for any of those? Did you, were you tempted at all? No,
3: no. I mean, I, I, th- I really, I just said, look, uh, I, I would tell Ron, I would tell Ron, I'm going to take the meeting, but don't worry. Mm-hmm. And then I would take the meeting and say, so I'd rather go with Ron. And then every time they would come back, I had a meeting with a super powerful uh, production product, producer and he said, your movie's lit but it's not going to be Ron Perlman. That's all I'm asking. Same script. And I said, this is not my movie. I mean, and I always had the certainty after Mimic. See, Mimic did that for me. Mimic taught me the most powerful word in the English language. Mm. No. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. and, and the thing is, at the end of the day, your name is on the movie, you're responsible. You can tell stories or you can, I can tell you all oh, that needs you. If you didn't Bail. If you did, if you if you stay, then your name is on it. Don't tell me oh, yeah, anyway. sure. you are the you own the crap. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. The last couple of years at Comic-Con, you've, you've uh, pulled the audience on Hellboy. Ron's been actively <laughs> trying to yeah. get this going lately. Yeah. Has the studio expressed any interest? Is it all from you guys? Like, is there any? <laughs> the
3: last serious conversation I had about Hellboy 3 was with Ron Perlman at a coffee bin in Ventura.
0: <laughs> it doesn't get any more official than that.
3: Some <laughs> that movies are green That's practically green <laughs> So, you know, it was Ron with his <laughs> vanilla frappuccino about, what, four weeks ago? Right. I mean, I adore that guy, man. I mean, he really is my brother, and I would love to do it. I would love to do Hellboy 3, and I, I frankly, honestly, uh, part of me is maybe not savvy enough, but I understand why they do it, why, because the two Hellboys made a lot of money on DVD and Blu-ray. Right. They made enough money theatrically, but the DVD and Blu-ray markets are gone. Yeah. Uh, But I honestly think, I may be deluded that there is, uh, the character has grown into a, uh, an audience that is that really wants it. Well, and
0: also the international markets have exploded, and I feel like yeah. that's a character that transcends, can, can transcend. I,
3: I, I mean, I, I will do it in a second, but no no one's no one's nodding. And Ron okay. is on this uh, almost uh, a good crusade, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't get in his way. I don't. I, I, I tell you, I'll do anything for that guy, man.
0: In the course of my being at MTV, it kind of coincided with what was probably a frustrating period of time for you. I mean, we were talking a lot during yeah, the yeah. development of The Hobbit et cetera. And, Two
3: years, yeah. Yeah. And, and there's that like... Mountains of matter right after. And, and yeah.
0: so th- that, there will always, for good or for bad, there will always be that, what, five or six year gap in your directing resume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Uh, how were you
0: able to reconcile that? Because that must have been the greatest source of frustration for you. It feels at times like you, you've been cursed as, <laughs> as yeah, a yeah. filmmaker in well, or, the, more the, than others.
3: The, real, the reality is that my projects had reported and announced yeah. more than others. I can, I can tell you the three movies that Alfonso tried and didn't do in his six years between Children of Man and Gravity. know he was gonna do one called A Man and His Shoe, right. A Boy and His Shoe, and another one that was about a bunch of teenagers and blah, blah, blah. And they don't get reported. For some reason, I get reported, <laughs> I get announced, and then I, I have to own the fact that they happen or not happen, but yeah. it happens to everyone. I mean, the gap exists. Uh, there, but I kind of felt good about The Gap because I co-wrote three novels, produced three films, produced two animated films. I was not exactly exactly. sitting on my Lawrence and co-wrote the trilogy, you know, and and I I designed uh, my two Hobbit movies completely, you know, as much as I could, and I left all that all that there, but I I actually... The thing that hurts for me is Mountains of Madness. That one hurts, because that's a that's a horror movie. Like *Crimson Peak* is not a horror sure. movie. Now *Mountains of Madness* is a horror movie. It's it's it was going to be a scary movie and a beautiful
0: movie. And infamously, you were like a week or two away with like Tom Cruise attached to I, I all was,
3: of it. I was yeah. with Jim Cameron producing. Yeah, I mean I. I, I uh, that in the eighties with in a second,
0: you know?
3: <laughs> so any movement lately on Mountains of Madness? Is there? No, is that I, one of those things? Again, like like the coffee mean I had uh, <laughs> okay. I had dinner with Jim and he said, "What are we going to do about it?" And, right. You know, Don Murphy and Susan Montford, always great allies. Always keep it alive. And yeah. you know what I say is, let's do it when it's absolutely sure. Because I honestly I don't want to be dramatic, but it, it hurt a lot. Yeah, and I don't know if I could be disappointed on that project again.
0: What, what, what about the Feelings for the Hobbit at this point? Have you, ever, have you sat down and watched the, the three?
3: No, no, I haven't. And, and, and Peter and I are in a great uh, relationship. We, are, we have a very clean uh, relationship and communication. We're very friendly. And I think it's a sign of respect for me. It's, it's almost like a, a, you know, watching footage of your ex-wife on the beach. You know, exactly why do you want to watch? If it's good, right. it's bad. If it's worse, it's worse. It's, sure. I mean, you, and there's no, no upside to it. And I respect and love his uh, work as a filmmaker. And, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather be happy that I was part of it. Sure.
0: So, Pacific Room, which was the, the largest in terms of scale of a mm-hmm. film that you've done, was it at all difficult to kind of retain kind of like your creativity, your control over that as know. the scale it, it exponentially grew? Nope.
3: That movie is was fully in my control. No, it feels It it's a real compromised in any I, way. I, I hate <laughs> to not have great anecdotes, but that movie, if you hate it or love it, I, I, I did it and, and it was great. It was really hard to to gauge the marketing of that movie because uh, I always felt that the robots were pushed to the front and the monsters were not they were almost kept like a secret. Sure. You know, and I think the whole concept what attracted me was Monsters and Robots. That's what made my 11-year-old mental light bulb go up. Right. And, and you know, I'll never, I'll never, uh, I'll never know uh, exactly if it could have been different. Uh, it was, you know, a lot was made about the tracking, and tracking doesn't mean popularity, it means people knowing about it. Yep. We tested incredibly high. We got a great cinema score, meaning audiences were connecting, but no one knew. I mean, when the movie was opening, we were below grown-ups too in terms of awareness. Right now, it's awareness, and that's 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 a thing that worries me because. I would have loved for people to know more about it. Well,
0: it's, a, it's a crazy world when like, what a film gl- grosses like around 400 gl- globally, yeah. and it's a gray area whether you get the green light or not for a sequel. Yeah, for,
3: for, <laughs> 411, uh, it's pretty good for, Seems and, uh, nice. uh, it's Seems still, good. still my, my highest grossing movie. You know? And a,
0: an original property. I mean, that's yeah. an achievement. And,
3: and, and uh, you know, Legendary always, uh, you know, the reason why, why they started uh, Pacific Rim 2 is they showed me, look, we've made more money than this, this, and this huge franchise's first movie. Sure. The fact is, what we need to do on the second one is you need to use everything we learned and make it for as tight a budget as you can, and and go for it. You know.
0: So as we sit here today, I know in the last couple of days it's been talked about whether this is a go project or not, or it's mm-hmm. on on the shelf. It's, it's ha- certainly
3: it's certainly not my next movie. It's definitely not. No, because okay. uh, with the push, you push you push the release date. So I feel compelled to go and do something small and weird. <laughs> you know, and then, because I need, I need uh, like, a, a breather and a, and a, a little, little uh, more a madness. In my life. Yeah. But, but in three weeks, we are delivering a budget and a schedule, yeah. uh, and, a, and a new draft of the scrambling. And then the studio knows how much it costs, what is it about. And then they'll decide if they go ahead or not.
0: Is is the small weird one something specific? Because you had mentioned doing like a black and white thing that was. Yeah,
3: I, you know, I, I've learned, and you know, I've I know, learned I know. it through the years. You want to make God laugh, tell him what your next movie sure. is. <laughs> you know? So, um, I'm curious, just
0: talking filmmakers, you, you talked about Hitchcock, you talked about George Miller. You've mentioned before, and every great filmmaker would mention him, Stanley Kubrick as an influence.
3: Kubrick, Cameron, Buñuel, uh, Spielberg, uh, Polanski. Um, uh, Buster Keaton, mm-hmm. Chaplin. I mean,
0: who, who's the filmmaker that that's no longer with us that you wish you could bend the ear of a little bit? Who would you want to?
3: Talk I would to? love to have met Hitchcock right? or Buñuel. Yeah, I mean, they they are really really people I find very interesting as as people. You know,
0: what's what's your favorite Hitchcock film?
3: Depends on which side of Hitchcock. Hitchcock yeah. The great action Hitchcock is either 39 Steps or by Northwest. The great melodrama Hitchcock, I would say, is notorious. Mm-hmm. The great sort of uh, Americana Hitchcock that defines Hitchcock is Shadow of a Doubt, so without, doubt. without yeah. a doubt, <laughs> you know, uh, or Strangers in a Train. Sure. Uh, his uh, gothic romance, in a strange way, is not Rebecca, but Suspicion. Uh, and one of my favorite late uh, year films is Frenzy. And, and my favorite film growing up of Hitchcock was The Birds or I Confess. So, I mean, I really.
0: There's something for every mood.
3: <laughs> there, it is. And, and Hitchcock is. Hitchcock is not a filmmaker, Hitchcock is cinema. Yeah. It's the whole of cinema in one single author.
0: Do you, I mean, do you feel, it, it, it's, it's kind of fascinating to think like cinema is a very young art form still yeah. and, and, and evolving exponentially. And we've talked over the years about video games and you are and you a proponent, you know, you've said before that this is an area where um, creativity the, is really exploding. Be, yeah. There will be, yeah, what, what, what do you, do you worry about the cinematic experience, about will it look the same in 50 years? Will, it, will people be going to theaters together and?
3: Well, it's, it's like owning a horse table and being worried about automobiles. <laughs> I mean, progress is progress, yeah. isn't it? I mean, language evolves, art evolves, and, and it evolves with technology. So we are, we are facing a change, no doubt about it. Now, uh, I say if everybody keeps making great movies like Miller and Scorsese uh, and Alfonso and uh, Alejandro, everybody, you know, I, I happen to think another one is Ridley Scott for me. Ridley Scott, I'm, I'm maybe in the minority, but I'm a huge fan of The Counselor, mm-hmm. and I've seen it probably 30 times. Oh,
0: the batshit crazy amazing movie.
3: <laughs> I know it, I know it perfectly and so forth. Yeah. So, you know, just, I think we, everybody should keep making the best movies they can, and the art form will change. Now, one day, one day we will be all people that did Operetta, <laughs> for sure. Because that's, that's in the cards.
0: Well, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned um, Ridley, I just saw The Martian, which is like talking about a filmmaker pushing himself. I mean, f- from a visual standpoint, of course, it's, it's amazing. It's got more humor than virtually any f- of his films ever. And yeah. to sort of see somebody pushing themselves in an area that maybe people don't think of themselves, mm-hmm. uh, them for. Like, is there, is there a genre that you appreciate as a fan that you don't necessarily feel like you have the tools to excel in? Oh,
3: yes, many. I mean, <laughs> of course. I mean, I would, uh, musicals, musical I, yeah. I mean, but, but uh, let, can I make a parenthesis there? Because I, another movie of him that I admire enormously is Prometheus. Yeah. And in the same way that I battle very much to say Crimson Peak is not horror, it's gothic romance, blah, blah. Prometheus is one of the greatest adventure movies of the, of the last Two decades. Why do you think there's
0: so much hate? Because I actually agree with you. I really enjoy Prometheus. It's an Prometheus. adventure movie. It, it happens in, in terms to me. of Alien, and they just—it was it's that.
3: It's like it's like a Robert Louis Stevenson, uh, Four Feathers, uh, Joseph Conrad scope adventure. It's yeah. an amazing. It happens to be in space. It happens to be in the universe of Alien. Yeah. But it's an adventure film of people breaking molds and going places that they shouldn't be. It's really fascinating, and I. I just think the guy is, is, is amazing and, and, and I think he's getting better and better and his filmography includes at least, what, 10 titles that you would kill oh, for, absolutely. 15 yeah, titles yeah. that you would kill for? What, for you,
0: what, what, what stimulates your creativity? Like what's, 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 What helps you kind of get the engine going when it's not... Uh a Coen
3: Brothers movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is it is it going it to see a movie? Fails.
0: Is it going to see a movie? Does yeah. that get you going?
3: Yeah, I think that when you go see a movie, that that is a staggering. Uh, I just saw Revenant. Oh, what, you did know? you? And it's staggering. <laughs> is it yeah, and uh, when you see a movie, it, it it sort of that moves you to tears about the the craft and about the medium and about the humanity. Yeah, it's so great, and I I think that you. It's not that you hold to yourself to those standards, but you can certainly aspire to them. Sure. When wherever you fall, uh, whether you are a chapter in cinema or a funny footnote, you always need to dream and be in love with the medium in that way. And mm-hmm. I think when you see a movie that beautiful, that powerful, you come out transformed.
0: Do you have a, a, in terms of franchise filmmaking, a favorite franchise, one that does elevate on a uh systematic basis, like do, do Bond films do it for you? Do any of like the comic book ones do it for you that, that are that are working on that level yeah, of art? I,
3: I like the Bonds. I do like the Bonds. I, I happen to enjoy the Mission Impossibles a well, lot, great, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think that I think that it's they are becoming more and more the personality of Tom Cruise, you know, like they he has now he's that brand in a beautiful, yeah. beautiful way, you know? They're
0: kind of like Bonds of the 60s. They're, they're kind of like... They're they are, they,
3: they are, and they are uh, physically, and, and they're very muscular, they're very whimsical. Yeah. You know, I think that the whole Man Who Knew Too Much uh, concerto, imagine the last one, you know, right. the assassination in the
0: theater was... Oh, the opera sequence is amazing.
3: Beautiful, and, and <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying old-fashioned as a, something to decry. It's like, uh, like a Stanley Donnan or Hitchcock mm-hmm. Choreography really beautiful. You yeah, know?
0: is um. Did you hear the recent comments by, that Spielberg made about the superhero genre, saying it's like cyclical, like the Western. He thinks it'll it'll go away and it'll come back, and it's just the nature well, of things. I, I
3: think that things, rather than go away, things ebb and flow. Yeah. Like, the western's never gone. Yeah. Horror, I mean, for us, like I'm in horror, I'm 50, and in my lifetime, horror has been death four or five times. Right. And horror has been the hottest thing six or seven times. Right. So it's ebb and flow. I think everything is, is ebbing and flowing, and no matter what genre, if a movie has purity and sincerity and power, it's going to, uh, you know, flow to the top. You, you, know?
0: you came close to getting, uh, doing another comic book thing in terms of Justice League Dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know we've talked about Thor, was was something that you almost did or did yeah. with for a time. Is there any impulse? Because, they, I mean, Thor Ragnarok is something you've worked yeah. with Tom, that's yeah. out there that they're looking for a director. Is that something that you could imagine um, being interested in?
3: I, I'm actually gravitating to the weirder stuff, man. Still, oh, still, yeah. yeah. I feel really, I'm, I'm in a stage when. Uh, you know, if I was gonna do pyrotechnics, I, they would need to be very intimately related to who I am or what I like.
0: Or your own uh, universe in Pac Rim, I guess. Possible? Right? Yeah, yeah.
3: Pac Rim attracted me because we were going to do crazy stuff. Yeah. And attracts me if we if we if it gets green-lit, But uh, I feel I feel like like uh, getting you know, weird. Guess, yeah, okay, yeah. good, good. I encourage yeah.
0: it. <laughs> Is there an actor you're dying to work with, and one in particular that jumps out at you? Do you have?
3: You know, I, I, I having having just seen Revenant and having seen Wolf of Wall Street, I happen to just Admire Leon. And, you will go for it. He's, uh... well, he, and, and, and he has he's a, a big connoisseur of the weird and the kinky cinema, you know? Right. We have an affinity for Todd Browning and Freaks. <laughs> All right. Huge affinity. Is that true? Know? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a Freaks fan.
3: He's a Freaks freak. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good to know. Very big. And, 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 you know, I've known his dad longer than I've known him. Yeah. Uh, but his dad uh, uh, used to be a, uh, an underground... Publisher, I'm very involved in underground and all that history of comics. I can talk with Leo or his dad very easily, with George um, about Crom, Richard Corbin, uh, you know Jack Jackson. Right. Yeah. I, I know he,
0: he for a while he was developing like a Twilight Zone movie. I was always intrigued by that mm-hmm. to see what mm-hmm. Leo would do with that. Would be interesting. Yeah. Is is there? Um, you know, working with actors over the over the years, do you feel like that was something that took a while to, to did you perfect a technique? Did to, Cronus versus Crimson Peak do you think you're working with on set differently? Well yes.
3: <laughs> Hopefully. Yes. I, mean, <laughs> I do I do think I do think you learn I mean I learned that brevity and, and intelligence in the direction, not complexity. Yeah. You don't wanna you don't wanna come out To an actor in the middle of a shooting day, with an intellectual concern, right? You don't want to come and say, "Remember, this is the moment where the character was uh, is remembering when he was a child." I mean, you come in with an activity. It's more practical. It's uh, just yes, you are thinking of this, you're doing that, and a verb, you know, a verb, and and communicated in ten words or less, twenty words if you must. But don't, don't go into, into a, co- a conference with the actor. Yeah. Give him tools, give him trust or give her trust and, 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 and be with them. And, and the other thing that I find important is be next to the camera.
0: Mm-hmm. Don't hide in Video don't, Village. Don't be don't. in Video yeah. Village. I yeah.
3: mean, I, I, I really, I, unless it's a complex shot that doesn't allow me to be next to the, I'm, I try not to be in Video Village. I'm with a little uh, handheld uh, monitor next yeah. to the camera.
0: What well, what happens when an actor is delivering a performance in just a different key, like a totally different kind of key than you need? Like, do you uh, sort of accept it and sort of like, okay, we're going to explore this path, or can, like at this point, do you feel like you can shift them towards your what you have in your mind, or do you just sort of well, have to go with it? The trickiest
3: thing is tone, you know, like like uh, if you're going to deliver if you're going to deliver a certain genre of dialogue, and the actor is making it earnest, it just sounds worse. Yeah. So sometimes you need to to make it lighter or to assume you know, when you're, when you're delivering a, a Blade two line the, the the virus is spreading exponentially, <laughs> they will soon overrun the city, whatever it is you want it to be uh, almost pattern, you sure. know, banter and, 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 and when they are delivering something, for example in Crimson Peak is sort of a couple of notches overwrought into melodrama, sure. you want to stay in that and, and the way you correct that if I may suggest something is you don't it's like shooting in a in shooting range. If you're not reaching the target, you don't take one step or one step back. You take five step forward and say, try it this
0: other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: And then five. Five slight adjustment back. you say. No, you go, you go, way go over. you go, let's try this. And you kind of break it, you say try it this much different or this much louder or something. Not not little steps, bigger steps. Do you ever give a line, line reading, or is that something? No, that... I've never done. I mean, I've never done it also with my accent. It would need to be Treasure of Sierra Madre, you know? Have you ever read The fire an actor? Huh? Have you ever read The fire an actor? Mm, no, I don't think so. Okay. Oh, maybe I conveniently forget. <laughs> Except
0: for Ron Perlman on this one.
3: <laughs> Ron Perlman was going to be Tom Hiddleston. Right.
2: <laughs>
0: underrated person on a set who doesn't get the credit they deserve that you are leaning on that like no. that makes or breaks a. Like that's
3: easy the worst job in a set is a focus puller yeah of
0: course it's just because if, if he does his minutely job, off, it's if, if
3: his job is right 99.9% <laughs> of the time nobody cares <laughs> if his job is wrong one time he's a complete uh, moron and you want to kill him you know I think it's the, top, the toughest job on a set <laughs> It's also, people think it's metrics and it's technique. It's pure instinct. It's pure instinct. It's a beautiful, beautiful craft. And I think it's the director's job to know what all these, what is at stake in all these little jobs. Because, uh, and that's why I'm very thankful that I did about a dozen movies and about 20 episodes of TV before directing, working in different capacities. Because... If you want to any, any day be in charge of a movie set, work on it. Yeah. Because then you know what the people working for you are feeling, you know?
0: When you're on the set uh, um, of this one or, or, or on Pac Rim and these sets are ginormous and it's mm-hmm. insane, are you, are, are you giddy just seeing what you've been able to kind of create and kind of like, this is all here because of me? <laughs> not, yeah. not in an ego way, but like no, that no, it's that's no, like, yeah, a kid in a candy store, I would that happened That
3: happened the first time I, I, Ron walked in as Hellboy, yeah, in full costume and makeup, I was like, you know, we've we, done half the
0: job already. <laughs> I was super
3: happy. I remember on Pacific Rim when we built the compods in a real uh, gimbal to shake them, yeah. and I got the first footage with the cranes going at them and the. It was a very difficult, technically very difficult movie and, and I thought, this is fantastic, yeah. you know? And, and it happens on Crimson Peak when we walk into the house. Absolutely. I mean, that, uh, I, I really wanted the house to be, along with the wardrobe, to be an instrument of storytelling, to tell you who they are and sort of evidence their state of mind by showing the house. Sure. You know? And, and the moment we entered the house, I, I felt... This is fantastic.
0: You know? uh, going into slight spoiler territory, but there's there's a, a murder in this one that involves kind of like a, a bloody tear that is just a yeah. great uh image. Is that something that like where did where did that come from? Do you recall?
3: Well I, I thought it was important uh to 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 have a final moment for that character that would that would be emotional. I tried different things. I had lines that didn't work. Mm-hmm. I had a moment between them that didn't work. And I finally said, you know what, let's put the tear, let's do the tear, because we were congesting the eye uh, with blood. Yeah. And I said, what if we have a little overflow, you know?
0: What's the, is, is, is there a scene in particular in Crimson Peak that is the, is the one that, that brings a huge grin to your face?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's many. I mean, I honestly, this is my third favorite film I've done. and. But I can tell you, if I had to choose from the beauty, I would choose the waltz. The waltz scene in Crimson Peak is, I think, beautiful, gorgeous. And it it kind of encapsulates a whole courtship in one single scene. And and, uh, Tom is holding a candle, and it really never went out. It really just stayed up. That's how good a dancer he is.
0: I'm just glad you convinced him to wear the pants for it because his initial instinct wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked for the final product.
3: The, the, the G-Stream was wrong. <laughs> but but, but, uh, but uh, the other thing that I remember with, I mean, I love the murders, yeah. but I, I, I think that the most sickening scene for me is when she's feeding, feeding Mia. Yeah. Uh, when Lucille is feeding Mia some porridge. It was a really intense scene and, and, and a very violent scene without anything happening, you know?
0: Um, it's, it's a truly great piece of work. I, I'm, I'm dying to see it again, and I, and I, and I will very soon. Um, thanks so much, as always, for stopping by, man. It's, it's, you're one of the best out there, and it's My a pleasure. Great pleasure to talk to you. See you later, guys. Thanks, buddy.
2: Hello, hi. Have you found yourself watching the film Aliens and wondering, what is Arcturian Puntang? Did you know that line was improvised by the actor Rico Ross? Or that the bus from Speed jumped over a real freeway gap with real terrified actors inside? Or maybe it didn't. <laughs> I don't know. But I do know this. I'm Matt Gourley. And if you listen to my podcast, I Was There Too, you wouldn't ask these questions because you would already know the answers. On each episode of I Was There Too, I talk to a different actor who had a small role in some of film and television's most iconic scenes. They share stories about improvising with Robin Williams, dancing with Michael Jackson, getting screamed at by Samuel L. Jackson, and all Jackson-related stories. In clips like these. I got to rewrite at midnight, one of those dead... Edwood monologues that's like a paragraph and a half long in backward
0: Shakespeare. And the AD called me up and said, David wants to shoot this first thing in the morning. So we're talking, you know, 530 a.m. And right now it's midnight. Like, okay, do I not sleep and hope that I'm able to perform this in the morning? Or are we going to get there in the morning and we're going to do it? And David is going to say, you know, let me rewrite it again. And I should just
2: blow it off and sleep. What I ended up doing was I began crying. For more like that, listen to I Was There Too today on wolfpop.com or the Howl app or the podcast app of your choice. It's America. I'll see you all there in my mind's eye. Pop. 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 Executive produced by Paul Scheer, Adam Sachs, Chris Bannon, and Matt Gorley. For more information and content, visit wolfpop.com.